to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Man, I hope you uh, enjoyed that time of worship. I know that I did. It's good always to, to focus on the Lord, to, to look at Christ and fix our eyes on him. I know a lot of y'all have had a similar experience as, I, as I've had in that uh, the things you're accustomed to doing normally or even being able to have quick access to, it's just not there right now. Uh, I think it was maybe Wednesday or a few days ago, I was gonna go on to Amazon. I'm an Amazon addict. I know a lot of y'all are like me. You love, you have Amazon Prime. You love that you can order something and two days later have it at your door. And so I had gone to Amazon and was going to... Um, yeah, I think it was some wood pellets for my, my smoker outside to, to keep cooking during this time. And so I went to order the, the wood pellets and for my, my girl, my smoker. And normally it takes, again, two days to get there. Well, I pulled it up and this was again, I think on Wednesday. And it said they would arrive by April 20th. And I was like, April 20th ain't gonna cut it. Like what is going on? So I look in the fine print there on Amazon and it, it said, we're temporarily prioritizing the delivery of some items in order to serve our customers in need. And I was like, well, as much as I would really like to have these wood pellets right now, like, that makes sense. That's fair. That there's certain priorities. There are certain things that are more pressing than me getting some wood pellets to be able to cook some chicken or whatever at this time. Now, with today being Palm Sunday and Friday, Good Friday coming up and, and next Sunday, Easter, I think a question some people may be wrestling with is like, isn't there something more pressing and more important than talking about the cross right now? Like, aren't there things that we could be doing with our time or giving our attention to more than the cross right now? You may be wondering, like, well, why would we, with all that's going on, I mean, we're in a pandemic and things aren't getting better right now, for honest, like, seems like they're getting worse. Why are we still talking about the cross. I want to tell you that an object's worth, its value, it is largely determined by how much it can keep its relevancy and its worth regardless of how much everything around it changes. Say that again, an object's beauty, its worth, its value is largely determined by how much it keeps its value, its relevancy, regardless of how much everything around it is changing and fluctuating and shifting. And I wanna tell you with, with kind of that mindset that the cross is absolutely always worth talking about. And I would say even more than that, the cross of Jesus Christ is always worth celebrating, regardless of what happens in our world, regardless if there's a pandemic or not, always the cross of Jesus Christ is worth celebrating. Now I realize that that's kind of a, a big statement in light of all we're facing. So, so the goal this morning is to, from scripture to show you four reasons why the cross is always worth celebrating. Why the cross of Jesus is worth celebrating even during a pandemic. Now, the, the passage for this morning is in Romans chapter five. I love that Martin Luther said uh, that this was the happiest text in all of Romans. It is, it's an amazing, encouraging passage. 
So we're gonna be in Romans 5. Go ahead and grab your Bible and turn there. Um, but I want you to know that we need a little context for, to understand Romans 5. Like if Romans 5 is our main course, I think Romans 1 through 4 is kind of like an appetizer, if you will. And so I wanna real briefly, real quickly, talk to you about Romans 1 through 4, just for a second. I promise uh, we're gonna be right on time this morning. Did you know that good people don't go to heaven? Good people do not go to heaven. The Bible makes it very clear that good people don't go to heaven and that that was never how God intended it. Like that you can't be good enough to go to heaven. The book of Galatians teaches us that by works, no one will be justified. In Romans one through three, the author Paul lays out how all of us are just disgustingly wicked and evil. And while on the outside our actions may look good, the reality is our hearts are wickedly deceitful and impure. And so we can try to stack up this religious activity and our spirituality, even look, I've done these good things, this morality, and look where I came from. But the reality is all that we would try to build up our own righteousness. So righteousness being uh, to show that we're in a right relationship with God, that we're in right relationship with other people. All that we would build up to show God that, it never stacks up. It always crumbles. It always falls. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. You can't be good enough for God. But the book of Romans tells us there's an answer. See, it's interesting. In most of our conversations, we're having a conversation with somebody and we're maybe saying some nice things and then we're like, well, but, (laughs) and then we throw them under the bus, right? See, in the gospel, it's different. The gospel says that we're really messed up. We're really evil. We are really sick and wicked and sinful. But God inserts some really good news. Romans chapter three tells us that our righteousness has been manifested apart from the law. So a way for us to be made in right relationship with God is made apart from us trying to do good because we can't be good enough for God. And he says that righteousness is revealed in Jesus Christ. Man, this is is amazing. This is the best news on earth. That's why the gospel is called good news because God knew we couldn't work our way up to heaven. So in Jesus, he sent down his righteousness to give to us. He came down to give us his righteousness. So what Paul lays out in Romans 1 through 4 is that ultimately we're wicked, we're evil, we are sinful. But Jesus Christ, God himself, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, lived a life we could never live, and then he died the death that you and I deserve. And after he paid the price for our sin, he rose again. And it says that if we place our faith in Christ, so rather than trusting and relying on my own works, my own righteousness, which is not really righteousness at all, my own spirituality, my own good doing, instead of relying on that at all, I fully 100% trust in the finished work of Jesus. The book of Romans teaches that when I trust in Jesus, when I place all my hope in him, God declares me justified. He declares me righteous. So he looks at me as though just as if I'd never sinned. And better than that, when he calls you righteousness, because Jesus took your sinfulness on the cross and took it on himself, theologians call this the great exchange. He took that on for you. In so doing, he also, when you trust in him by faith, he places his righteousness on on you. So this is amazing. So God, because of Jesus, when you place your faith in him, God looks at you as though you lived the life 
of Christ. Whew, man, that, that is amazing. He puts the, all the, uh, the honor, all the, all the um, awards that you could say that Christ earned from his life, he places them on you and declares you righteous. Man, we could just stop right there, right? There's like two people in here. We've been having church, right? Um, we could stop right there and just realize, man, God, because of the cross, God, when I place my faith in him, he declares me righteous and justified. Man, that's the best news ever. So Romans one through four, Paul argues for the gospel. And then in Romans five, this is why Martin Luther called it the happiest text in all of Romans. In Romans five, he begins to celebrate the gospel. So back to the question I originally started with. Why is the gospel worth celebrating even during a pandemic? Paul is gonna give us four reasons in this text. Now I want you to know, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, these are yours. Again, not because of you, but because of what Christ has done. These are yours. So you can celebrate, you can rejoice in these. And if you don't know Christ this morning, maybe you've just always kind of been like in your mind a good person, but you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, you never placed your faith in him. I want you to know these could and can be yours if you'll turn to him. Why is the cross worth celebrating even during a pandemic? Four reasons. Join with me, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, what we just talked about, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is amazing. The cross is always worth celebrating because it gives us peace with God. So because of the cross of Jesus, because he paid the price for your sin, when you place your faith in him, you are transferred from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. So no longer are you in this, this awkward, like uh, shun, unshun relationship with God. No, you are now at peace with God. You are a friend of God. And he says it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and note here, this is not the peace of God, like that I feel better, I feel calm, my heart feels satisfied. It's peace with God that now your relationship is made right. You're not an enemy of God any longer. You are a friend of God. And that certainly, being at peace with God, absolutely will lead you to the peace of God. Man, I think a, a really cool a picture of that truth is the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son. There was this son who told his father, basically, I care about your stuff more than I care about you. You might as well be dead because I just want your stuff. He took his inheritance early. He left from his father and then he spent all that he had been given from his father on just terrible living. So again, basically he had cursed his father to his face. I want nothing to do with you. I only care about your stuff. I don't care about you. Then lost it all. The Bible teaches that that is who we are. That's what every human being ever lived has done. Said, God, I, I don't care about you. I just want your stuff. I don't really want a relationship with you. You might as well be dead to me. And the story that Jesus told the son eventually realized, man, I've made a mess in my life. Maybe I could be a slave or a servant of my dad. Like there's no way the relationship could be restored, but maybe I could just like be a nobody to him. But I, maybe I could eat the crumbs from his table kind of thing. Jesus says that as the son was walking back kind of scared to his father because he knew he had 
destroyed any hope of a relationship, that the father did the most amazing thing. It says that when he saw the son a long ways off, he ran to his son and embraced him in his arms. It said, this son of mine who was lost has been found. He's returned home. What, what scripture is teaching us is that because of Jesus Christ, when you place your faith in him, you can have a relationship like that. That though you des- deserve to be like, man, I'm scared of God. I, he has every reason to be mad at me. That though that is your reality, because of Jesus, really in the cross of Christ, God ran to you to reconcile the relationship. and says, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to run from me. You can be a child of mine. We can be at peace together. And if you have trusted Christ, that is your reality. That is your relationship. And if you haven't trusted Christ, that can be your relationship. I mean, that, that's something worth celebrating, rejoicing, that we're no longer enemies of God, but now we are friends of God. The cross is always worth celebrating because it gives us peace with God. And if Paul were here, he would say, bro, that's just the first thing. We're just getting started. He goes on, verse two, he says, through him, talking about Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So here's the second reason Paul gives this for celebrating the cross. The cross is always worth celebrating because it gives us access to grace. It gives us access to the grace of God. I love that it says to in this grace in which we stand. It's in the perfect tense. So it's complete. Completed action with continuing results. So kind of nerd out here for a second. So it's the action is accomplished. Like because of my faith in Christ, because of the work of Christ, I'm in grace. Like it's a finished thing and I'm gonna continue to stand in that grace. And it's through Christ. Christ. Think about this. On your own, or on our own, I should say. We all deserve hef, hell, sorry, hell and death and condemnation and separ- eternal separation from God. But because of Jesus, I have access, not just into the presence of God, but into the presence of the grace of God to, to be near him and to be in his grace, to be treated as though I've lived the life of Christ when the reality is I made a mess in my life. We should celebrate the cross no matter what because we have access to grace. The cool thing about grace is it, is it takes away shame. It takes away condemnation. And that's what he's saying. Your reality is you've been transferred from condemnation and now you stand in grace. You've been transferred from shame and now you stand in confidence of knowing you're forgiven and loved by Christ. I was talking with my mom. She's a high school math teacher and she was talking about some of the Zoom classes that uh, teaching classes on Zoom online and says, funny, so many of the gals who normally would come to class and uh, their hair's all fixed up and their makeup's all on and dressed to the nines, that on these Zoom calls, all she can see is the top of their head. And I was like, why, why do you think that is? And she said, it's because, uh, because they don't have to go to class right now. They're all sleeping in and not putting on any makeup, not fixing their hair. They're dressed in their PJs. And so they don't want anyone to see them. So they're there, but it's kind of this ashamed, like, please don't see me for maybe what I really am. And so many of us, even as Christians, live our life that way of, yeah, I'm in the presence of God. Technically, he can see me, but I don't want him to see me for who, for who I really am. 
I, I, I'm gonna kind of cover myself and, and I'm ashamed that if he really saw me for all that I am, he wouldn't love me. And this passage is saying that because of Christ, you have access to stand in his grace that Jesus knew he's, he was paying for on the cross. So he's not like, oh, Brandon, I didn't realize you had the ugly sin in your life. Actually, you know what, get away from me. He says, no, I paid it in full on the cross. I see you for all that you are, the mess that you are, and I still love you. Because of the cross, you're still welcomed into my presence and there is grace abounding here. If his grace was an ocean, we'd all be sinking in it and standing in it because he loves us that much. See, so many of us live in this 2%. So like 98% believe that God loves me for who I am. But there's always this 2% we want to kind of hide and keep. And maybe I'm afraid if God saw that, he wouldn't love me. And God's saying, no, because of Jesus, bring that in here. You stand in grace. And if you're like, man, how could that be? I made a wreck of my life. Again, it's because God did the impossible by coming and dying for you and paying the price for your sin. You could never do it. It's not because of your merit. It's because of his mercy. The cross is always worth celebrating because it gives us grace. It gives us access to God's grace. Now it's interesting. Paul makes a little shift here. He's been talking about like what we currently experience even now because of the cross, because of justification by faith. And then he says it doesn't just affect the here and now, it also affects our future. Pick up kind of halfway through verse two, it says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The cross is always worth celebrating because it gives us hope for the future. That's what he's saying. It gives us hope for the future. And he says, we rejoice in the glory of God. The idea is that we rejoice, we, we get excited about, we celebrate the fact that there is coming a day when we will see God in his full glory. We will get to see him and experience, in him, experience him with our eyes not being marred and tainted by sin. Our view of him will be unobstructed by our own shortcomings. There's coming a day we'll get to see the full glory, the full presence of God. He says, we rejoice in that. We look forward to that. And more than that, and when he says rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, it's also looking forward to that day that we will finally be what we were meant to be. Romans 3.23 says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we're, none of us are what we're supposed to be. But because of Christ, there's coming a day when we'll be what God intended us to be. And because of that, we'll get to perfectly enjoy our relationship with him. We're already at peace with God, but there's coming a day when there'll be nothing obstructing that perfect relationship with him. So says, Paul says, man, we look forward to that day. We look forward to when the curse is finally and fully and forever reversed. And God makes all things new. I remember one time, my wife and I had gone with a team of about eight people to uh, Togo, Africa. And Togo is an amazing place. Um, but while we were there, amazing people, but while we were there, our whole team got some sort of stomach issue. It was, it was not good. Uh, we think we know the culprit, but we won't go there right now. Anyways, um, on our way back from Togo, which, man, Going to Do Togo and coming back from Togo, that is a long trip. Like, I think 30 or more hours. It was, it was crazy. So on our way back, keep in mind, these long, you know, 12-hour flights at a time and eight people on board who have stomach issues. We'll stop there. It was just not good. I think you're tracking with me. 
So we finally get to the States. We land in Houston and we're like, man, it's gonna be great. We're gonna get to go home. We get to Houston and I can't remember either our flight to Lubbock was canceled or delayed. Or we missed it, whatever was the case. We missed it. So we had to stay the night in Houston and we couldn't get our luggage. So here we are, we've been in Togo, Africa. We're gross, we're sweaty. We have no access to our clothes, to our uh, deodorant, anything like that. We've spent a week um, not having good health issues. It was rough. You better believe that that next morning when our, we finally really got to get on our flight from Houston to Lubbock, man, there was some rejoicing. Like there was some high five. There was some celebration of we're finally going home. Like we're not home yet, but we know for sure we're headed home. And there I'm going to have fresh clothes, some fresh food. I can have my own restroom for all this stuff going on. Um, I'm going to have the the food that I like. I mean, it's all going to be made right when I get home. So there was some rejoicing. I think there's a similar idea of what Paul's saying here of, Man, this world is broken, it's messed up, but we rejoice in the full confidence, the trust, the hope that one day things will be made new. Things will be made right. We will get to experience the glory of God. Y'all, if there was ever a time that proved to us that this world is broken, this world is messed up, this world is not what it should be, it's right now. I don't have to tell you that. So if you're, uh, if you're objecting, like, well, man, man, that kind of idea is just ignoring the current problems. It's just kind of trying to get this pie, uh, pie in the sky, uh, out of sight, out of mind. Let's not worry about the problems. Let's just get to heaven. I would say, no, this is actually not a denial of the reality we're in. This is a full-on embrace of the reality that we're in. That the problem we're experiencing right now is just evidence that this world is broken and that God put in us a desire to long to be with him and to be in heaven when things are all made right. So yes, we work towards resolution right now. We, we work hard to, to fix this broken world. We work hard to, uh, in, in our prayer, praying that God would do a miracle and change this broken world. But the reality is, when you rejoice in the hope of heaven, you, when you rejoice in knowing that you have a hope for the future, then you're embracing that this world is broken. And our only hope is Jesus Christ. So we rejoice in the cross because the cross made that future hope possible. The cross is always worth celebrating because it gives us hope for the future. And that's our third thing. And as if to say, you ain't seen nothing yet, Paul gives us one more. Verse three, he says, not only that. So you thought we were excited about rejoicing in a future hope. He says, listen to this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. The cross is always worth celebrating because it gives us a new view on suffering. It gives us a new view on suffering. Now, I love it. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. We don't rejoice for our sufferings. That would be psycho. So like, yes, I'm in a trial. This is great. No, we rejoice in our suffering. So even in the midst of the difficulty, even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the pandemic, he says, we're gonna choose to rejoice in the middle of that. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance. So as I go through hardship, as I go through difficulty, 
I know that God is building in me a faith that has endurance, building me a tougher, stronger faith and hope and trust in him. Steadfastness. So it produces endurance and endurance produces character. A more literal translation here would be proven character, or you could even say tested character. So as I go through the suffering, as I go through the hardship, God produces in me endurance. And that endurance produces a proven, tested character that I can see, man, God, even in this difficulty, he's given me a faith that is not shaking. Yes, maybe it's been disturbed, but it's not been destroyed. I'm still holding on, trusting God. It's, it's a proven, tested faith. It doesn't just blow off with the wind. And, oh man, like my life is shaky, so now I don't believe in God. It's no, I, even when things are crumbling, me, crumbling around me, I'm still enduring. I'm still having faith in God. So it's a proven character. And he says character, a proven, tested character produces hope, which makes sense, right? So the suffering leads to endurance. The endurance leads to a proven character and that produces hope. That may, I can see how even in the midst of the difficulty, God has produced steadfastness in me. He's strengthened my faith and he, he's proven that. It's so not I have hope that God is working in my life. It's hope that, that my relationship with him is real because I, I can see the steadfastness of it. The difficulty, the suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and character produces hope. That man, that God is real and what he's doing in my life is real. That even in the difficulty, he's still working in me. He still wants to do something. It's this new view on suffering. It, it, you could say suffering is not meaningless. That there's actually, that God in the middle of your suffering is actually still doing something. It's not just for waste. It's just, it's not for nothing. He's doing something. It's not meaningless. Makes me think this whole new view. You ever been to a, a baseball game? Um, if you're, especially like, say your first baseball game to go to is a Texas Rangers game and you're, you're way up in the nosebleed section and you're looking at the baseball game and you're like, this is not entertaining. And like, I don't know what the point of this is. I don't know what's going on. And just imagine, I've had friends that this happened to them that someone calls or texts and says, hey, we're, we're down like two or three rows behind home plate, why don't you come join us? So you make the long, long, long walk through the popcorn, through the spilled Coke, down to the second or third row behind home plate. And man, when you get there, your perspective of the baseball game is changed entirely. As you can hear, the pop of the ball and the catcher's mitt, man, the the ball, uh, the bat hitting the ball has a completely different sound. You can hear the players chatting back and forth. That, that new view, that new perspective, that new vantage point completely changes your perspective on what you were seeing. Paul's saying that because of the cross of Christ, because you've been justified by faith, it gives you this new view on suffering. So before you saw suffering with so much lack of clarity. It wasn't clear at all. I'm not sure what is the point of this? Why am I even here? Why am I going through this? But because of Christ, he gives you this new view on suffering that not that it brings you closer to reality, but that you begin to see it with different eyes of, oh man, maybe God is, maybe that's what he's doing in my life. Man, maybe there can be joy in the midst of suffering because he's given me this new perspective, this new view. Paul's saying the cross is always worth celebrating 
because it gives us a new view on suffering. And if you're like, well, okay, well, how, how can we know that the hope that you have that God is doing something in the suffering, how do we know that that's not just a hoax? How do we know that's, that's not just a joke? Good question. Paul says, hope, verse five, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He says, I know that hope is a reality because I already have experienced the love of God in my heart. The Holy Spirit has poured out the love of Christ, the love of God into my heart. And then in verses six through eight, it's like Paul just clears a little space and he's gonna have a fit over the love of God. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the, un- for the ungodly. And then he says, let me unpack that a little bit. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So he's saying there are those, are, those rare occasions where some sort of hero person might die for a pretty good person. We've seen experiences like that. He says, this is a, what God did, what Christ did on the cross is a totally different thing totally different level of love. He says, verse eight, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So not while you were dressed up and had your best church clothes on, not while you thought you had your life all together. At your worst, Christ died for you. Not just any death, he suffered and bled on the cross an agonizing, the most agonizing cruel death this world has ever created. The world, humanity gave its worst and God gave his best on the cross. So Paul's saying we can have hope. We know it's not a hoax. We know it's not a joke. We know it's not gonna be a letdown because the cross is proof that God can take the worst imaginable thing and bring beauty from it. That God can create something magnificent from an absolute mess. That's what Jesus is in the business of doing. He turns graves into garden. So Paul says, man, I'm gonna have hope that even in the midst of the suffering, I'm gonna rejoice in the suffering because I know that God is not through. God is at work. God is doing something. He's given me a new perspective and I have hope. And the proof that my hope is not a joke is the cross cross of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna cling to the cross. Man, the cross is worth celebrating. It's always worth celebrating because it gives us peace with God. It gives us access to grace. It gives us a hope for the future and absolutely it gives us a new view on suffering. It changes everything. Changes everything. So I want us this morning to end with kind of a diagnostic experiment, if you will. Here's what I mean by that. I'm gonna, very, we're done, but I wanna lead you real quick in kind of an exercise that might reveal your understanding of the gospel. A.W. Tozer said that what comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. And I wanna lead you through something that maybe will help reveal if you understand the gospel or not. So if you would, right now as you're watching, would you just, um, maybe in your mind, try a little circle around yourself and uh, bow your head, close your eyes. I want you to spend some time with God as I walk you through it. I want you to imagine yourself standing before the throne of God. If you're like me, I think all of us cower a little bit. <laughs> but as you're there and he, and he looks at you and he sees all of you, there's no 2% hidden. 
as he looks at you. What do you feel? You're scared? Do you feel ashamed? Or do you feel welcomed and loved? See, if, if we understand the gospel, if we embrace the benefits of justification by faith, and we know we're welcomed into his presence. So if we're not feeling that, not that it's all about feeling, but if you're not sensing, man, if I was the same before God, I would be welcomed and loved and forgiven. Why is that? You can, again, maybe it might be helpful just to keep your head bowed and eyes closed as you're thinking and praying. I think one reason that maybe you feel scared and afraid, that the idea of staying before God's presence, ashamed, could be because maybe you don't know grace. If you've never trusted in the finished work of Christ for you, then you have absolutely every reason to be scared in his presence. But the good news is you can today trust in the finished work of Christ on your behalf. If you don't know Jesus, I, I wanna ask you to just make this your prayer to say, Jesus, I know that I'm an absolute wreck, that I'm a mess, that I could not be good enough on my own to, to ever build a relationship with you or to get to you, to get to heaven. So God, I right now want to fully, wholeheartedly, 100% trust in your finished work on the cross. I wanna believe that your sacrifice, your payment for my sins is enough for me. It's all the grace that I need. So God, I, I wanna repent and turn from my sin, quit making that my Lord and instead turn and follow you as my Lord. I want you to be in charge of my life. And then God, I wanna walk in grace and in peace with you. And scripture says that if that's your heart's desire, it's not about the words that you say, but if that's your heart's desire, that right now you are a child of God. And right now those benefits from Romans chapter five, those are yours, that you have peace with God, you have access to grace, that you're standing in grace now. You've been transferred from condemnation to grace. And more than that, that you now have hope for the future of heaven and now you can have a new view on suffering. Man, if you made that decision today, I wanna invite you to respond in the chat or, or fill out the connect card there that's on the website uh, or even on Facebook. Man, let someone know. Call the church this week. Email us. We would love to know that you trusted in Christ this week. Now, the reality is even as a believer, as a Christian, someone who's trusted the finished work of Christ, you still may wrestle with feeling ashamed and cowering in the presence of God. And I want to say, uh, there could be a couple of things going on there. And that, I struggle with this big time. I think probably simply, those, you could, we could unpack this for hours. We're not going to. Maybe one of two things going on. It could be that you've reverted to a legalistic mindset, meaning that you feel like your relationship with God is based on how good or not good you are. And so it's always fluctuating. And I want to invite you to live life right side up 
see it as God intends you to see it. And that is that if you've trusted the finished work of Christ, your relationship with him does not fluctuate based on how you feel or how good or bad you do that day. It's based on God's grace shown in the cross. So I wanna invite you to transition your mindset from a prove it mindset to the mindset that says God has already earned it through the finished work of Christ. So I'm gonna rest and rejoice and celebrate in the cross what Christ has done for me, not what I've done. When you begin to live, live and think less legalistically, it's gonna free you to stand and enjoy the presence of God, the grace of God. And I mentioned there were two parts to that. Maybe the other thing, it could be that you've just forgotten who you are. I think sometimes when I don't wanna celebrate and rejoice in the gospel, it's because maybe I think I have earned it. Oh, I'm a pretty good person. If you forget where you came from, what a messed up, wicked, sinful person you are, it's gonna be hard to rejoice and the forgiveness and the love shown to you on the cross. So maybe this morning you just need to kind of remember where you came from. But I think all of us, that the landing point this morning ultimately should be that we rejoice in what is ours in the cross, that the cross is always worth celebrating. So I wanna invite you right now, if you wanna keep sitting or maybe even stand there in your apartment or house or with your family, and sing this song that celebrates what is ours in Christ Jesus. So if y'all would, let's do that together. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the Venue Podcast.